Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. Our guest today is Bay State Banner reporter Morgan Mullings. Morgan is part of the Report for America program, and I'll explain the details of that as we talk to her. Morgan is a 2020 graduate of St. John's University. Her journalism career began working with Time for Kids. She was also a writer and race editor for the teenage-produced Affinity magazine. Among her career highlights is an internship with Rolling Stone. She was also editor-in-chief of The Torch, the student newspaper at St. John's. Morgan, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, so first of all, let's get a little bit of background about you. When I interview professional athletes, I typically ask them about the first time that they made a great play. So let's spin that to journalism and ask, do you remember your first association with journalism and what interested you about it? Hmm. Well, I really loved watching the TV news. I really loved watching 60 Minutes, but I also loved reading Um, different magazines at school and my first real brush with journalism was through the Time for Kids magazine and every year they look for kid reporters and I don't know what it was in me. I saw the application and I saw the requirements and I was like this is exactly what I want to do. I was in the fifth grade and I did not let go of it (laughs) from that moment. What, What was the highlight of your kid reporting? I got to, so fun, I got to go um, and interview, well, two things. I got to interview the writer of the Princess Diaries series, Meg Cabot, um, and we had a great time. And even better, I got to go to the polls during the election and do exit polls as people came out. It was like a little short fifth grader with my dad standing next to me saying, hi, would you like to answer some questions about who you voted for? I just, I loved it. I was, it was so exhilarating. <laughs> what, what personality traits do you have, and I presume that were kind of built in you at a younger age, that uh, kind of bring you to journalism? I was definitely a very inquisitive child. <laughs> <laughs> I loved to write. I used to make up um, little like contracts or things for people to sign or poems or books or made up things um, to have people interact with my writing when I was young. And I loved asking questions. I had really good teachers who told me, you know, there are no stupid questions, ask away. And my curiosity kind of led to just my love for connecting with people and telling their stories. Sometimes I asked, I was, I pried a little too much, but I, I learned my way out of that. All right, let's fast forward just a little bit. You had some interesting career experiences before you got to your current job. Let's start with your college paper uh, at St. John's University, The Torch. What was the progression there like uh, from originally starting there to being the editor-in-chief, and what were some of the most important things that you did? I started there as a copy editor. Um, That's how a lot of people start there. You know, you go um, to their production night on Tuesday nights um, in our little basement office and um, you copy edit the pages and hand them off to the editors. And um, after that, I started writing some more. I did some reviews and things. And there was a spot opening for an opinion editor because someone was leaving the newspaper and I was just so enamored by the older students and the work that they were doing. And I just wanted to work with them so badly. (laughs) My first real position there was opinion editor. And I wrote a lot of fun things, you know, commenting on um, celebrities and things happening on campus, stuff like that. Um, And then afterwards, I kind of got involved with the, I guess like the management side, but I wasn't 
far enough to be uh, like managing editor or something like that. And I created my own position instead um, so that I could stay. <laughs> and I created the outreach manager position uh, because we didn't really have an HR kind of person. And that's still really needed. You know, newspaper business is a business. We had things to pay for. We had hundreds of students to keep track of that would disappear into uh, email lists. And we wanted to foster a better community and retain people. And so um, it was my job then to recruit and retain writers and editors. And that kind of birthed my endeavors in media literacy because I started um, to host trainings in our office so that students could come in, they could learn about journalism, they could learn about why we do what we do. And then, well, in the hopes that we would make fewer mistakes uh, because we are students, but also to help them know that everyone who is in there is like bio majors, business majors, you know, you don't have to be this amazing writer. You know, journalism is kind of a trade that anyone can really get into. And so I just wanted to encourage people to shout out their ideas and see how journalism and the, the ethics of it and the fun parts of it kind of intertwine into their everyday life. Yeah, there's a passion, uh, there's a place for you if you have a passion for it, uh, certainly in any number of areas. Where did you find your passions to be in the, terms of to the know. kinds of things that you wrote about? I really, I don't want to use the word debunking. I guess I'll say um, I did a lot of self-searching in that time and I discovered that I really enjoyed changing people's minds because I found out that it's probably the hardest thing that you can ever do is change somebody's mind when they really and truly believe something. But I'm of the belief that, you know, like one good piece of information can change your entire perspective and that subsequently will change the decisions that you make. Um, and so that's kind of why I decided to stay in journalism. I don't know if you you know, in school, when you get to senior year, you start uh, questioning why you're in your major at all in the first place. Um, and I decided to stay mainly because, you know, I know that when people read what I write, it will change their minds. It doesn't matter about what, um, but it'll uproot them from this place of uh, rigidness in their perspective and hopefully move them forward. So that's definitely absolutely where my passion lies. And I think that the other side of it is I was really dedicated to ethics. I'm definitely really into the ethics side of journalism. And I really do believe that um, if, I, if I can hold on to that, then the newspaper itself will have solid ground. Um, and I think my, my knowledge of that and my, dedicated, my dedication to educating not only our writers, but the people that we report on is what got me to that editor-in-chief position. One of the other things before we get to the step that takes you to report for America is that you had other uh, opportunities besides these. Uh, Affinity Magazine, which me, old fogey, hadn't heard of, uh, <laughs> but then looked it up, realized they had 50,000 Twitter followers and was <laughs> like, okay, this is important. Let's take a look. Yeah. And one that I had heard of, Rolling Stone, which is awesome that you got the <laughs> chance to do that. Uh, what were some of the highlights working at those? So Affinity Magazine, actually, uh, I think that was in my last year of high school. So I was at my high school newspaper. I was doing, um, I was the entertainment editor. I love writing about music. And I wanted to get some experience writing for something that didn't have to do with school. And I saw them on Twitter when they had, you know, next to no following and a very, very small staff, just a bunch of like high school kids 
who were like, we want to start our own magazine. We don't want to have to uh, try and beg these editors to publish our writing. We're going to start our own thing. And I, I joined in with them and it was just um, a little crew of us kind of sharing our, our opinions on current events. And I eventually became their uh, race section editor um, where I wrote about um, just race as it pertains to pop culture. And I really, really enjoyed that. One of my favorite ones was calling for the first black man on The Bachelor, which I wrote, I think in 2016, 2017, maybe. And that's Uh, happening. And it's happening right now. There was an episode on Monday night and I did watch it. (laughs) (laughs) It is the most, you know, they are having the most viewers yet. So I think I may have been right. After a few really amazing internships in college, I got to intern with Nylon Magazine. I got to intern with Her Campus, which is just one of the, it's the leading um, college women's brand in media, I'm pretty sure. Um, And one of my, one of the alums from The Torch, um, from the 80s, because The Torch is almost 100 years old now, reached back out to me and said, hey, there's an, an internship opening at Rolling Stone and would you be interested? And I said, would I be interested? Are you kidding me? One. I've been reading Rolling Stone since I was a, a, a kid. My family um, is full of musicians. My brother is a professional musician. And so we're all really huge fans. So it was honestly the opportunity of a lifetime for me. It was one of the greatest experiences. And I still have relationships with some of the, the staff there. They've really um, helped me throughout this hard time of just entering um, the beginning of my career. All right, and that takes us to something uh, current, and that is your current position with the Bay State Banner, which is the product of uh, Report for America. Morgan is one of their many success stories. There are going to be many more. They have, uh, they're taking applications. We will get to that uh, in a little bit. They're taking applications for the next set of reporters to be a part of the program. All right, so how did you find out about Report for America? What was the application process like, and how did you come to be at the Bay State Banner? So during my junior year of college, I think is when I found out, I was interning at this amazing website um, called uh, Stacker Media, uh, where I learned a lot about data journalism. And we had a lot of freelancers coming in and out of that. And one day, one of our freelancers left. And in saying goodbye to them, we found out that they were leaving to go to Report for America. And I was like, what is Report for America? And when I looked it up and saw that it was more like Teach for America and that their emphasis was on journalism as a public service, a light bulb immediately went off in my head because that is truly what I believe journalism to be. And I think it was definitely from that moment uh, that I said, I'm going to apply to this when I'm (laughs) I'm eligible. And I think in, yeah, in January of 2020, I, I sent in my application. I think they're really, they were really looking for people who were about the mission and I had a lot of fears that I wasn't experienced enough. Um, Despite it being a service organization like Teach for America or like the Peace Corps, it doesn't mean that it's all people who are right out of college. There's a lot of people who are, you know, seasoned, experienced journalists. There are a lot of people who are switching careers and things like that. And so I thought, oh, they're not going to want, you know, this girl who has no local news experience other than her college newspaper. But the questions in the application more touched on you know, my experiences with writing and what sparked my love for journalism and um, why I care about news in the first place. Um, I was able to tell them of some really uh, strenuous experiences during my time at The Torch where 
me or some of my staffers were ridiculed or quote unquote canceled for coverage that we had done and things like that. And just how I took those times as opportunities to educate more about media literacy. Um, those times really only uh, shined a light on the, the gap that there is, especially in my age range. I'm only 22 years old and everyone I know gets their news from Twitter and Facebook. So all of that to say, um, I think, I think that Report for America and my mindset really and truly aligned. And so they reached out to me when I was home quarantining. I got sent home from school um, in the middle of spring and I thought my life was over. Graduation was canceled. But I was never going to get a job. And they reached out to me for some interviews and they said, we're going to connect you with the banner. And I did an interview with the senior editor there, Yawa Miller, who is now my editor. And I think it was a really good fit. Um, I was really excited to work with them just because they have a pretty amazing history in the city of Boston being black owned and family owned um, and reporting on the African-American community, Latino community in Boston that's often overshadowed um, and overlooked by other publications here. And I also am working under, you know, two legendary journalists, Yawu Miller and uh, Melvin B. Miller. Um, who know everything about this city. And when I'm older, I'm sure I will be saying that they have taught me almost everything I know at this point. <laughs> and it also feels great to be a Black reporter at a Black newspaper. It's, you know, there are a lot of amazing reporters who are not of color who report on the Black community. And I think they do an amazing job. But I think it's also important in building relationships with the community. Um, and as the banner continues to forge relationships with the community, um, that there's a, a young Black woman's face there that can connect with the people who really need their voices heard the most. And also to show future generations of reporters that there's a place for someone who looks like you. Exactly. Um, I'm curious, going into the job, if you had studied the history of African Americans in Boston. There are a couple of different entry points to that. Um, there's the Boston busing crisis, which I, I read up on the other day. And the way that I know it is through the Boston Red Sox being the last Major League Baseball team to integrate uh, under their uh, problematic ownership. What did you know about the city going in? From what I knew, well, I, I, I actually want to start with what I didn't know or mm -hmm. what people assumed is that when I said, hey, I'm moving to Boston, a lot of people around me said, a black girl moving to Boston, you know, what are you going to do there? What's there for you? You know, isn't Boston super segregated? And to some extent, that is still true. And their history of segregation, I feel was a little jarring for me coming from South Florida, where, um, you know, there's everybody of every color down there. But I think that after getting to speak to some amazing sources, people who are, are born and raised in Boston, uh, black who are born and raised in Boston or black who immigrated to Boston, uh, people who are results of the busing era. Um, I think that my education really stems from hearing sources, personal stories of triumph. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of people who, you know, own businesses now here in, I live in Dorchester, um, who own businesses now in Roxbury and have had people, you know, they are born and raised here, maybe they'll leave for school and they'll come back. And people in other states will say, well, you're so talented, you're so educated, why don't you go and start a business somewhere else? You know, if you're a developer, why don't you start developing in some places that can bring you some, some real money or start build up cities somewhere else? And I love this 
culture of looking back at the history and coming back to their town and saying, here's what we can do. We belong here and how can we build it up together? Yeah, um, they, they often decide to come back to Boston anyway and say, how can we continue to rebuild the black community here based on our history and in spite of our history? And I think that that's, that's really inspiring. With that in mind, uh, what, do you, what exactly do you cover? So I'm here to cover City Hall and the State House and how um, legislation and ordinances that are passed there um, affect the Black community and the Latino community. Um, that means a lot of sitting through long city council meetings and long city council hearings and Senate sessions and trying desperately to get on the phone with legislators who quite honestly work pretty much 24 hours a day and have no time to talk to me. Um, but, and I've also, in addition, never truly covered politics in such a local way. So it's been a huge learning curve, but like wildly fascinating. <laughs> we'll have more with Morgan Mullings after this short break. Welcome to Journalism History, a podcast that rips out the pages of your history books to re-examine the stories you thought you knew and the ones you were never told. I'm Terry Finneman, and I research media coverage of women in politics. And I'm Nick Hershaw, and I research the history of New York sports. And I'm Ken Ward, and I research the journalism history of the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains. Find the Journalism History Podcast at journalism-history.org podcast, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. One of the things about Report for America is I've noticed that the beats that become offered to people uh, that that get them are fascinating and it becomes like taking a graduate school journalism curriculum <laughs> all in one big swoop. So what's the most meaningful thing that you've learned about how to report? Well, I will say it does feel like I'm in grad school. <laughs> <laughs> I chose not to go, um, but I feel like I ended up there anyway. But most meaningful thing I've learned about reporting itself. Ah. That's so hard to say. Um, probably to just go for it. That the stories that you don't think are going to be meaningful are very meaningful. I think when I first got here, I was definitely just so, well, I was afraid in general because it's been a very hectic time moving during a pandemic and all of that, but also just afraid to pitch things because I'm not from here. Part of being a part of Report for America is, you know, either you're dropped into a new city that you may have never lived in and so, you're able to give a fresh take and that's beneficial for the newsroom or they ask you to stay in your city um, so that somebody who's lived there for a long time can give that perspective. But me being kind of dropped in the middle here, um, I was afraid to, to say, hey, I think this story would be really important because what if it's not important to people who live here? You know, I'm an outsider. Um, but one of the biggest lessons I've learned so far is it is important. If it's about an individual in Boston who's going to be affected by what's going on um, behind closed doors in, in City Hall, it is important. And I think that the readers um, and even some of the legislators have really taken to that. I've gotten some really good responses about that. One of the things that you mentioned to me as being important with regards to the beats that you're covering is housing. I was reading a piece that you wrote last night. Um, it's the one that's uh, kind of bookmarked on your your uh, Twitter page about out-of-state building management being an issue uh, in the city of Boston, uh, especially during the pandemic uh, and as relates to evictions and such. What has your experience been like trying to cover housing? It's been a little difficult for me. I think 
during the pandemic, you know, I, I lost my housing during the pandemic. I um, had an apartment promised to me and it didn't work out and I had to move after three months of living here. Um, and that's just a really small way of being uprooted while, you know, hundreds of families are being uprooted from their homes simply because they don't have a job. And it isn't their fault that they have that they don't have a job. It's because of the pandemic closings. And I think it's been hard to separate my uh, emotion and just my empathy for situations like that. Um, it has also been um, kind of fun for me in a way because I cover a lot of protests. I went to one this morning um, in, in 34 degree weather outside for two to three hours um, where organizers were demanding that the national government extend the CDC moratorium and make it stronger until this emergency is over. And hearing the personal stories and just getting connected with people on the ground has been really, really enriching. And it, it makes such a heavy situation a little bit lighter um, because then through my stories, I'm connecting even more people, but it is marred a little bit with disappointment when you see them out there fighting really hard and you know some things just don't get passed some legislation just doesn't make it to the governor's desk and then they refile and they're out there the next morning and it's even colder outside and they're screaming even louder so another uh example of situations where people are clashing certainly this has been a story nationwide uh one of the biggest stories police reform uh one of the topics that is at the forefront for american awareness uh, what has your experience been covering that uh, that story for the banner I've always looked at police reform from kind of a national perspective and police brutality from a national perspective, mainly because the biggest things that have happened have not been in my state, um, other than Trayvon Martin. Um, but being a local reporter, it's really unearthed what the culture of Boston really is like, what sides people are on, you know, what personal feelings people harbor for the police, whether they're positive or negative, and also gauging people's, how do I put this? Gauging people's opinions about their local government. I met a lot of young people, uh, well, young, I'm young people, but younger people um, who were really leading the charge, you know, asking the mayor to um, cut the police, the police budget as a whole, cut the police overtime budget, and astonishing older people in Boston with their knowledge of not only like abolitionist theory and things like that, but of uh, what is it called? Um, just protecting the community and mutual aid and their knowledge of practices, safety practices that don't involve police. And then also their knowledge of how city hall works, how city council works, how to negotiate um, with people and with higher ups. Um, that other people who are politically minded just didn't know about. I think that the, yeah, the culture of Boston itself was definitely revealed to me in that time of just covering those protests. Another layer of the graduate school aspect of this, I would imagine, is trying to cover the mayor of Boston. Uh, and the mayor of Boston is Joe Biden's nominee for labor secretary. What was your uh, experience like trying to cover him? I will say I, it's different for me because of the pandemic. And there isn't a lot of, you know, going to press conferences and things like that. I've spoken to him directly all but one time now. And it's 
difficult because when you speak so much to other people who work with him or who work around him or who have strong alliances or opinions about him, you tend to see the mayor through their eyes. Uh, so right now I'm really just trying to gauge my own perspective of the mayor and his legacy in Boston as we prepare for him to move on to the White House that doesn't really involve everybody else's influence and voice so that I can kind of cover him fairly. I've asked every uh, person journalist that I've had on uh, since the election, uh, as someone who watched everything that took place from November 3rd to November 7th, and now you're the first person that I talked to post January 6th, what that experience was like for you as a reporter? Did any uh, story ideas come of it that you're trying to work on? I think what I'd like to say is that reporters are really hurting right now. Maybe not all of them, but what really struck me is seeing, I know attitudes towards some of the media are negative. That's not a shock to me. What's shocking is having to watch equipment being destroyed, um, people being, you know, spit on, harassed, assaulted um, in our nation's capital just because they are reporting on what's going on and talking to other people that I know in the industry. You know, there was just a lot of grief and just it's just such like a harrowing reminder of how long we have to go. Um, I almost feel lucky that I didn't really have to write a story about that for now, for <laughs> now. Um, who knows what's going to happen in the next week. But really what I'm just thinking about right now is how to recover. Um, things like this, you know, were not surprising to a lot of reporters. Um, almost, they were almost expected, but it doesn't make it any less scary for them. And so just in the recovery of moving forward, you know, that may take a while to, to figure out. Yeah. All right. So transitioning here, slightly lighter, maybe a lighter topic. How do you come up with your story ideas? So my editor and I um, collaborate on story ideas. That story that you mentioned about um, the out-of-state developers, that was um, something that he had come up with and I kind of took it and ran with it. Um, but what I, the first thing I did when I got here was just collect names of people that I think I should know, collect their Twitter accounts and put them in a separate Twitter list for when they tweet things out. That's kind of the easiest way to gauge the conversation of what's going on right now. Um, but it's also my job to just call people up and see what they think. Calling people in city hall, calling the city councilors, calling legislators and saying, um, especially the, the Massachusetts Black and Latino Legislative Caucus, calling them and saying, hey, what's on the agenda? Uh, what do you think that we should be caring about right now? What's going on? Um, and sometimes there are stories in there. Sometimes, you know, you call the Teachers unions, um, a really good thing I started doing is going to neighborhood meetings because they're virtual now, so I don't actually have to go. Um, and we've gotten some really good stuff out of that as well. And different, um, different organizational meetings have been made public. And sometimes I'll just sit in there and take notes. A lot of the um, legislative commissions, their meetings are also public virtually. I keep track of those, put them in a little calendar for uh, me and my editor to see and um, sit in and see what is newsworthy. Yeah. 
that's uh, that mirrors what I talked to uh, the guest who was on the episode before you, uh, Aralise Hernandez, uh, now at the Washington Post. Uh, that mirrors a lot of the things that she talked about with regards to story ideas and essentially peeking in on uh, neighborhood meetings um, and things of that sort. All right, so I looked over what you did for Rolling Stone covering rap, K-pop, Harry Connick Jr. I looked at Affinity where you wrote a recap of Obama's farewell, the impact of hurtful comments when Trump was elected. You mentioned the importance of having a black man on The Bachelor. At the torch in the earliest days of the coronavirus, you wrote a piece called The University Can't Win about St. John's trying to figure out what to do about in-person classes. You've talked here about changing minds and the ethics of journalism and how much you like music journalism. If I was going to describe you briefly, take all that and wrap it into one or two words, I would say well-rounded. So I'm curious, as someone who's looking to the future, 22 years old with whole world in front of you, what are the kinds of things that you want to do in your career? Well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> no one's ever called me well-rounded. In the future, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, get, being here has definitely solidified my love for local news. Um, it can be difficult, and definitely a lot of people quit and I can see why. Um, but it's definitely solidified my love for local news and my love for media literacy um, and just keeping people informed. Um, I do miss editorial a little bit. I do miss, you know, getting my opinions out there. But I really feel like there's room for that in the future. I don't find myself, you know, jumping from, I don't envision myself jumping from career to career, but I do think that there's more room in the future for me to get back into um, commenting on the culture. But to do that well, one of the best things I learned during my internships is to do that well, to properly comment on the culture, no matter where you are, um, you do really need local experience. You need to be on the ground um, and see it happening in front of your eyes and talk to people and get their personal stories. Um, I don't wanna be jaded, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So um, yeah, I think there's I think there's room for that in the future. I love podcasts. I will say that. Um, and though I have no radio experience, um, I'd love to do that someday. Uh, so if you have any tips for me, let me know. But, <laughs> yeah. I think you're I think you're handling this one just fine. Um, so we typically end with a couple of paid forward questions, and I want want to reward the people that are listening with interest in applying to Report for America or who fast forwarded uh, to the end, who uh, are curious, what advice do you have for someone applying to Report for America? Hmm. Well, first I would say, if you're thinking about applying, definitely apply. But second of all, I think that Report for America is a place for reporters who really want to revive newsrooms. Um, it's definitely great to take a job that will further boost your career. And this being at the banner will be a boost for my career. Um, it's a great place to work. Um, but going into Report for America, I definitely don't think that you can go in solely thinking that you're just gonna do this for yourself. If you have an outward focus on thinking about the reader and how this is going to impact them, that's really honestly all you need. And then on top of that, you're gonna get training for literally everything you can think of, investigative reporting, radio reporting, how to cover a protest safely, things like that. There's so much available to you through the program for free. 
and they really genuinely want you to succeed. And that is the kind of support that I need right now. Um, if you're lucky enough to apply and uh, the pandemic isn't as bad as it is now, uh, they do an in-person meetup where all 300 of us get together in Texas and get to meet each other. And that network for me is absolutely indispensable. I wanna shout out the RFA, um, Black folks, group chat. Um, there are a lot of different um, communities within Report for America. You know, all the Midwest people get together and all the South people get together. And um, we as people of color has, have also gotten together as a support system in itself. And I really do feel like I'm going to have those connections for a very long time. So I think it's, I think it's absolutely worth it. Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> All right, I'm going to make this personal to me for one question, which I don't typically do. I hate, hate, hate driving in Boston more than any city in the country. New York, Philly, Boston, Chicago, whatever. Boston, I find to be the most difficult. What advice do you have for journalists new to Boston about trying to drive there? Ooh, three words. Get a bike. <laughs> nice. My editor, um, I wouldn't call, I don't know if I should call him a bike enthusiast. I don't want to, I don't want to paint him in, a, in the wrong light, but he, um, he bikes nonstop and he gave that advice to me and it was the best advice ever. Um, I bought a used bike off of Facebook marketplace and I tried my best to fix it up. Um, and it was, it was the greatest. You can get anywhere in 15 minutes, even if the weather is kind of cold, it doesn't feel that bad to be riding outside. There's plenty of places to park your bike compared to being in New York City where your bike will literally get stolen at a moment's notice compared to Boston. And there's a really good community of, of people who ride around there and you have a good chance of getting something for a good deal, getting your bike fixed up for a good deal. So don't even spend money on a car. Don't bother. The T is great. It's reliable and everything. But if you're like me and I really don't like taking the bus. I lived in New York. I do not like taking the bus. Um, <laughs> So I'm in the market for a new bike right now, and I'm very excited about it. All right. And then our last question is always, is there a journalism organization or journalist that you would like to salute? I want to kind of force you into one part of the answer. You can certainly have your own, but I was going to ask you about Melvin Miller and his uh, impact. Yeah. Wow. I, I really, I really admire him. I just looking back at his legacy and his, coverage of segregation in Boston, schooling in Boston, and how things really affect Black people from a Black person's perspective. That is so inspiring to me. I mean, yes, there are history books and there are great journalists, like I said, who are white, who have covered Black issues. And it may seem like it's not okay for Black people to cover their own issues, but I think that learning from Melvin's example that we should be covering our own issues. I can only hope to, um, well, I can only hope to cover uh, such important things, but I, I guess I'm doing it now. Um, and he's been so supportive. I just want to say he's been so supportive and complimentary. And should we mention his age? <laughs> he is. Um, he, oh, how old is he? I, he's I in his 80s, right? 80s yeah he's in his mid 80s and he he goes into the office and I, I get to see him and 
I, I, I love that he, that he still works and our perspectives are wildly different. And that is what I love about having conversations with him. It sharpens me. So nice. is there someone else or another organiz a journalism organization that you would like to salute? I would. I would like to salute a specific journalist. Her name is Angelica Acevedo. Um, she works at QNS. She reports on Western Queens in New York. And she was my roommate in college. She was the first person I met at the Torch. She was the first person of color I met at the Torch. And she is the reason that media literacy is so important to me. She pretty much shined a light on that for me during my college years and kind of just like just lit the fire so that I could um, really take it to another level. Um, and she is a fantastic local news reporter. I mean, her coverage is great. She does a podcast with one of her coworkers that's also very informative. And I think she brings hyper-local coverage um, to the forefront in a way that other people don't. And I love her very much. <laughs> nice, all right, that's a good way to end. End on an upbeat note. Uh, Morgan Mullings, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Applications to become a Report for America Corps member are being accepted now until January 31st, 2021. Corps members will be selected from a highly competitive national competition. Those hired become employees of their respective newsrooms and will begin their employment June 1, 2021. In 2021, they'll be placing approximately 300 corps members across the country. Around 100 of those will be new placements. They're committed to diversity and equality in the workplace. For more information, go to reportforamerica.org. One of the themes for this episode was initiative. Morgan going for it as a fifth grader and writing for Time for Kids, creating her own position at her college newspaper, teaching media literacy, reaching out and asking people what's important in the community, and going for it and applying for Report for America. I've read and heard a lot of good things about this program. I wish it had existed when I was in school, if not for me, then for some of my classmates. Hopefully the story of Morgan's experience inspires you to take the initiative and go for it. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.